I think this mic won't pick up the sound of Blade uh, licking his balls, but if it does, (laughs) you know, enjoy. All right, I'm I'm gonna leave that one in. (laughs) Are we starting right now? Are we going? All right, so joining me right now is my co-host Jeff Otto. Jeff, I've known you for 20, oh my gosh, has it been 20 years? I think it's been 20 years or close to it. A long time, man. 20 years this past May. Unbelievable. May May 2003. You you smoked me out of my apartment. That's a story for another time. Yes. yes. Um, Not not the kind of smoke they might be thinking of, though. (laughs) No, different. Barbecue smoke in in, in this Which is now legal in California anyway, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) All right, man. So, um, yeah, why don't you give... uh, uh, your background for a few minutes, like, you know, tell people who you are. Uh, you know, you worked in corporate America for, for a while and now you're, you've been out of corporate America for a while. And I don't know, maybe just, yes. yeah, tell, tell people a little bit about yourself. I went to film school many years ago, film and photo degree came out yeah. and landed a kind of random job as an assistant to a screenwriter uh, named Tim Hurley, who wrote the Adam Sandler movies. So that was kind of a unexpected job in a remote town of uh, Ridgefield, Connecticut. I worked for three years, kind of going back and forth between LA and Connecticut on the Adam Sandler movies, premieres and uh, entourages and pretty interesting line of fire. I I, uh, I think three weeks into the job, set at the Little Nicky premiere behind the Osborne family two weeks before the Osborne show launched and next to John Lovitz and Kevin Nealon and uh, Will Ferrell and all these crazy people. So I was thrust into this world and, uh, you know, pretty enamored. I uh, met Quentin Tarantino that night and had a whole chat about uh, Adam Sandler as the lead in Inglorious Bastards, which, as many people know, didn't happen. But so I did that for a few years and then uh, decided I I needed to do something besides get this guy's coffee and uh, watch his kids and and, uh, pick up his dry cleaning. So. I moved to LA with a plan to continue as an assistant or work in uh, production. That didn't really pan out. I had interviews with famed producer Linda Opst. I had lunch with Drew Barrymore. I did all these crazy things and ultimately uh, ended up managing a Hollywood video because I needed to get paid. And uh, it's a Hollywood video. Nobody's going to know what that is. Yes, it's a store where you actually had to like pick up these little platters, these silver reflective platters that uh, play movies one at a time, (laughs) one at a time. They don't stream. So yeah, I I did that job, which was horrible, but I mostly sat in the back room and uh, wrote articles and tried to submit them to publications until I got some interest from the video game and men's entertainment site IGN. And they hired me to freelance and I was one night called and they asked me if I could be at the Santa Anita racetrack in two hours to interview uh, Toby Maguire and Jeff Bridges. And uh, that's what I did. I went to the Santa Anita racetrack. I interviewed these guys. I asked Jeff Bridges if he really contributed the clothes to the Big Lebowski. And he pulled out the sunglasses from the Big Lebowski, put them on and said, what do you think, man? <laughs> Which is pretty cool. Nice. Had to call my dad about that. And uh, yeah, so I did that for a f- about six months as a freelancer. And then they offered me a full-time job on staff. And so I became sort of the head guy or one of the head guys for their movie section. So I did what they call press junkets, which if you don't know what those are, uh, 
when a movie is about to release, they do these promotional events where you go to usually a fancy hotel like the Beverly Hilton or the Four Seasons and you interview the cast, the directors, the writers usually, and uh, you screen the movie. So I would review the movies and I would interview the cast and I would either submit a printed article that I would write or I sometimes did on-camera interviews. So I would get these tapes and take them to our editor and they'd edit me into a, a clip of an interview with, you know, Tom Cruise or Will Ferrell or Will Smith, all these big people. So I, I went, you know, was thrust into this world and it was pretty exciting for a while. I, I got flown all over the world to go to sets. I was on the set of the original Batman Begins. I was on Chronicle of Narnia. I was flown to Prague to uh, do Doom with The Rock, where I got insane food poisoning. So that was fun. And uh, yeah, so I did that for two and a half years on staff with IGN before I got lured away by, and this is kind of where the corporate America part of things came in, because IGN was very much like a, a sort of frat house. You know, we played video games, we goofed around, we had three hour lunch breaks. You were traveling quite a bit, right? Yeah. And, and going to these press junkets, but you still had an office, right? You didn't work from, from home really at that time. I mean, work from home probably wasn't as much of a thing. Did you, like, was there an office that you went into? I always worked from home as a journalist. Uh, yeah, there, I did have an office, I had a desk, but you know, my days were so mixed up where there would be a press event in the middle of the day, or there would be um, a screening I had to go to. I mean, sometimes I would screen two or three movies in a day. So I, um, you know, it depend on what my boss wanted. You know, if he, if he wanted, if I had nothing going on, he'd, he'd prefer me to come in, but they were very loose at IGN about it. It got less. But, it's not, like, but, but it's not like, it's not like you were never in an office. Like you, you. Oh yeah. Still, I was in an office. Yeah. yeah. You, you were in an office. Okay. And, and obviously other people over there. So you dealt with the sort of things that we'll get into interpersonal relationships, politics, all, all that stuff that occurs in an office. Like you still experience that. It's not like you were a hundred percent of the time or even 90% of the time traveling internationally to, to. Right. Know, exactly. Uh, and uh, what was interesting about that IGN office was this was at the tail end or right after that dot com bubble of the late nineties. So IGN had had like a ridiculous valuation and had bought, offices and fancy desk chairs. I actually have one of them. They gave me one of them. I have a, what's that fancy branded chair, the era, the $1,500 yeah, chairs. I have yeah, one of those yeah. fantastic yeah. chairs. Been with me 20 years almost now. Anyway. Um, yeah. So they had this office that was like 75% empty with like, you know, demo level $10,000 speakers and big screen TVs and, you know, fancy chairs and big conference rooms. And it was just, it was sort of eerie and funny. I mean, it just said empty most of the time. And, uh, you know, so we had these, you know, I could go into work at my desk or I could pretty much go into like an executive's office that who had been let go and sit in there because <laughs> there was a, you know, they had like overblown things quite a bit, but it was a fun, it was a fun place to work. It's a fun atmosphere. And it was, it was corporate, but much less corporate than, than kind of what you're speaking of. I'd say it was pretty a pretty loose atmosphere. But I mean, there are a lot of environments like that, you know, startups yeah. uh, primarily. Yeah. But, all right. So you, get, you were saying you, you get lured away from IGN to go. Work. Yes. There was a new uh, TV channel launching, which I think is sort of still around, but it's kind of a shell of what it was intended to be. But I was lured away by a friend uh, who I'd met on the on the junket circuit uh, named Philip Nakov. And he had an executive position at this startup called Reels Channel which initially was intended to be like an ESPN for the movie industry. 
uh, that was the idea that the hope was that, you know, in Hollywood, people would just have reels channels sitting on in their office all day long and it would talk about everything that's going on in Hollywood. It, uh, it didn't work out that way. And I think these days it's showing like Cheers and Matlock reruns all day. And, and maybe there's a lot of, uh, infomercials about scooters, but, uh, they had some, uh, Steven Seagal made for TV movies. Anyway, I, it's, it's sort of around, but it, I don't think anybody, I mean, 20, well, I guess 16 years later, people still don't know what I'm talking about, even if they get the channel on their yeah. uh, cable or satellite. But that was a much more corporate environment. It was run by the Hubbard family, who were kind of big fish in Minneapolis. They ran a bunch of radio and TV channels. And uh, I won't get into all the nuances of that, but long story short, they were the big fish in Minneapolis, and they thought that they were going to be the big fish in L.A., it didn't quite work out that way. So they hired a big LA team, which I was a part of. And then they proceeded to ignore all of our advice and fight with studios and lose coverage and distribution and everything. And so I sat there in that job because uh, I was it was a higher pay, higher paying job and also a better position. I was the head of a writing team. I had two writers and a video editor under me. And uh, yeah, I mean... Quite honestly, it was uh, two and a half years of banging our heads against the wall. Uh, I did work from home some. I did a lot of the same stuff I did before, although I was more on the corporate side of things. I was in a lot of meetings. Um, we had an executive team that would fly in from Minneapolis that many of them, it was sort of a mystery as to what they actually did on a daily basis, but we knew they liked to call meetings. So... When they were in town, I would sit in meetings all day long and then stay at the office till 11 at night doing the work I normally did because I was in meetings all day long. But uh, yeah, so I did that um, until there was a wave of layoffs in 2009 and uh, I was survived the first two waves and uh, was axed with the third layoff. But uh yeah, uh, it was kind of a long time coming and it was a sense of relief to get out of there. And at, at the time, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do next, but I knew I didn't want to do that. And I knew uh, sitting at a desk and the corporate job scene was not my bag at all. And I was really, you know, my wife, Melissa, still talks about kind of the level of depression and, and uh, defeat that I had when I came in the door, especially in those last like six to 12 months at that job. So you studied journalism in school? Kind of. I was a writing minor. Um, my major was film and photo with a uh, okay. concentration in screenwriting, actually. But I did a lot of journalism work, and I, I wrote for my high school and college papers. So, you know, I really wasn't thinking journalism, and I really wasn't thinking of being an entertainment journalist. But it was yeah. kind of a natural fit, because I'd, I'd always done that. I'd been doing it for years. And, you know, it was actually really funny. A friend of mine... I, I I was looking for production jobs and a friend of mine just sent me a link and he had been doing some freelance for IGN and said, Hey, they're looking for more writers. And uh, yeah, I, I, they needed something like right away, a sample. They said, Oh, we've already picked our, our guys. You're late to this. So get us something in like an hour. So I wrote a quick review of the movie adaptation and uh, it was kind of sloppy. I just tried to get it in. And uh, the head guy was like, called me, his name is Stephen Horn. And he was like, it's a really good piece. You spelled Charlie Kaufman's name wrong. And I was like, oh, God. And uh, <laughs> I think I had spelled it two different ways, one right, one wrong. And uh, 
yeah, so that always stick to, stuck in my mind and, and made me a better proofer. But he still hired me, so it, was, it, it That's what editors are for, right? Like, exactly. Where's the editors? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. as many people might know, if anybody ever worked in the online world, especially in the early days, there are no editors. You're your own editor, and nobody cares about – people care a lot less these days uh, about typos than they did 20 years ago, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't think that's a good thing. But No, I agree. Agree. So after Reels, uh, is that when you uh, started the dog walking business? Yeah, more or less. I, I floundered around for a little bit, uh, trying to sort of figure out what was next. I freelanced for a bunch of different outlets, uh, New York Post, Sci-Fi Channel, Fandango, and a horror site called Bloody Disgusting. So, uh, you know, I'm not a huge horror guy, but there was a lot of work. Bloody Disgusting led to FearNet and... Some other, I I ended up getting a lot of horror work. So I watched torture porn movies like Saw and Hostel and went to those sets. And uh, I actually wrote for a site that was trying to get me to cover gossip material, which I refused and, you know, ultimately decided I just was by the end of it, you know, I was burnt out at the, the days of really being excited to interview celebrities and go to these events had had waned quite a bit for me. You know, I still people, you know, in the early days of what we did next, people would say, you know, you were going to movies and being flown to New York to fancy hotels and getting per diems. How could you leave that? But, you know, it's a lot of hours, a lot of weekends, a lot of nights and very repetitive. And you're you're kind of a corporate shill in the entertainment journalism world. It's, you know, probably truth in real news as well. But, uh, you know, sometimes when I got a really juicy story and I went home to write it, or I witnessed something I maybe shouldn't have on a set, I would get contacted by the publicist that night, and they would say, don't write about this if you want to get into our next event. So I got kind of tired of that because it really didn't seem like I could write what I wanted to write anyway. So, so, yeah. um, So you were freelancing, right? I was freelancing for probably almost a year. And in fact, I was continuing to freelance for a while when my wife and I started the business I'm about to speak about. Uh, but my wife, Melissa, had a background in dog training. She had trained all the way back to the 4-H club as a kid. And uh, she was actually a nanny for a family, and she was looking to get out of that. So she had kind of gotten a small client-based dog training. She was working as an apprentice dog trainer, and a few of those uh, clients uh had people that she had been helping out with this other trainer had hired her on the side. And then some of them asked her about dog walking. So she was doing some dog walking. She was doing some training and uh, she was actually volunteering for a program called canine connection that placed at risk shelter dogs with, um, or I'm sorry, placed at risk youth with shelter dogs and helped train them. And so she was training for that. And I got pulled in as a photographer so I came and assisted and helped out, did photography with that. And in that, in those moments without realizing it at the time, we were getting sort of pulled into this dog business world and meeting a lot of wealthy people who were interested in dog training or, or had dogs and needed services. So um, at the time, my wife got city contracts for the cities of Santa Monica and Malibu to train for their city classes. Uh, through I remember the- that. Yeah, the the mailers that the city sends out. So once again, I was the photographer for that. So I came and just helped, you know, promote and pass out 
flyers and and uh, brochures and business cards and take photos. And uh, yeah, um, I actually started a pet photography business called Shaggy Shutterbug at the time and did that a little bit on top of the freelance journalism. And, uh, you know, we started getting my wife started getting more and more requests for dog walking, more and more requests for training. And so, you know, I uh, said, you know, maybe we could turn this into something. Maybe we could make a business out of this or at least, you know, turn a side business. And uh, that's kind of what happened. It, it blew up really fast. We we named the original business Positively Perfect Pooches. And I think that launched in 2011. I think we just passed the 12-year mark. And, uh, you know, we started at the beginning. My wife and I did everything. We did all the... Uh, dog walks. She did all the training. She did a lot of the dog walks too. And then it was actually, uh, there was reluctance from my wife that we needed to hire people and start having them do dog walking. And I was kind of, you know, she still has that reluctance with the training. And, uh, you know, I was like thinking there's no way I want to walk dogs forever. So, you know, and obviously we could, that was kind of the limitation on the dog walking businesses that we were competing with. They could only take on it was all single person operations at that time, and they could only take on however many um, clients they could handle in a day. But of course, you know, if you could get a team on, it was sort of infinitely expandable. So that's what I started doing. I think I just initially placed an ad on Craigslist. I don't know how many people even know Craigslist anymore. I guess it's still around. But I placed an ad on Craigslist and I started hiring people. And we, we hired two or three walkers initially. And uh, they, my dog is coming on the microphone here hey Blaine. hey I, I have a question about that actually like at that time <clears throat> were you did you make a conscious decision to like not re-enter the corporate world right because even though you're you're doing some like freelance work and <clears throat> the reality is it's not reliable work for most i mean for some it is um and and you could go back into corporate to work for a publication, have a full-time job, full-time salary, benefits, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Or were you not really thinking that? You were kind of just, you just shifted your focus entirely to starting this dog walking business and dog training business. No, I was still thinking that at the time. I, in fact, I had interviews, I came real close on a job with MTV and there were a few other jobs that I interviewed for, one at Fandango. None of it panned out or it wasn't quite what I was looking for. Um, so I, I did kind of teeter in both worlds for a while and I was pretty, for a little while I was thinking maybe the photography, pet photography, which I got a lot of jobs and a lot of work. I had a living social deal that sent me all over LA for about a year off and on. But, uh, so I wasn't really sure I was really, you know, when I say floundering, I really was, I had no idea what was next. And, uh, you know, I knew my wife and I, uh, we, we weren't married yet. We wanted to get married. We wanted to have kids. And I was like, we were de delaying. We'd been engaged forever, as as you may know. It's so interesting, Jeff. Who who married you anyway? Yeah. I'm, yes. Yes. You're talking to the minister. You're talking um, to the minister here. An extra skill Jeff Apfel possesses, and uh, you know, underutilized <laughs> in my opinion. I can't believe you haven't gotten hired again. I, I know. I should pick up some more uh, side work. Doing yeah. That. It's not a bad idea. Absolutely. Okay. All right, but we digress. But yeah, what I found my forte was kind of the marketing aspect of the dog walking business. Uh, my wife and I did all the consults together initially, but as she'll tell you, I did a lot of the talking and kind of upselling people. And I liked that. That was exciting and fun mm -hmm. to me. And it was great, you know, after years of seeing how much of my paycheck was taken away to take home that 
money, you know, for ourselves that was going directly to our own bank accounts. And uh, yeah, it was actually like, there was definitely a moment of epiphany. uh, And it was July of 2012, driving back from San Diego for my umpteenth time covering Comic-Con, which if anybody doesn't know what Comic-Con is, it's like the ultimate nerd fest. Uh, You know, nerds are cool these days, so that's not an insult anymore, but they're richer than all of us. But uh, yeah, so there's tons and tons of sweaty people in the San Diego Convention Center and a horrible body odor by the fourth day. And, uh, you know, I would escape this thing and, you know, I would work seven in the morning till two in the morning and then come back to my hotel and meet deadlines and sleep an hour or two and head back. And, you know, I was just so burnt out and so over it. And, you know, there'd be some cool moments, but I remember sitting in traffic on the 405 calling Melissa and I was like, that was it. She's like, what do you mean? That was it. That was my last job. We're going to, we're going to turn this business into something. Cause we were starting to get a lot of clients I was bouncing between events and dog walks and consults for business. And I just said, you know, we, we got to try this. We got to give it a real try. There's so many dog walking businesses around, but they're all kind of half-baked. You know, they're all a teenager or, or single person operation. And, you know, literally when we got our first jobs, I mean, when we set up the business, we set it up like I thought you would set up a business. I mean, I read books, looked at articles and, you know, we got our business license. We got our insurance. We figured out how to take credit cards and, and everything, set up the bank accounts. And uh, you know, the first questions I got from all the clients was, do I just leave cash on the table? And how often do you cancel? And I was like, we'll take a credit card. We'll take a check and we never cancel. And they'd always laugh like I was full of it. You know, well, my old dog walker cancel all the time. Or what happens if you go out of town? And I'm like, you know, we're going to have somebody to cover your services. So we got a lot of loyalty with that. And, and even now, 12 years in, we've, we've still got probably three, three or four clients who are from the very first days and they're on, most of them are on their second dogs. Um, so yeah, we just, we kind of approached it as, you know, a real plan. We called it boutique dog walking business. So that's what it evolved to, you know, because we wanted to try to turn it into something. And we, you know, that was, I think I spent an hour and a half on the phone with Melissa on that drive, just rambling about how this could be a huge thing for us. And I think she was excited about it, but also, you know, she's heard me ramble about stuff like that many times. I was kind of like, yeah, whatever, we'll see. And kind of, I think she figured I'd probably go back to work as, you know, another journalism job. And and so fast forward to today, you guys have a, a, successful dog walking business. I don't know if Melissa is still doing uh, much in the way of training. If you guys even have time for that, you do have three little kids oh, yeah. after all. I mean, obviously you're in a, you're in a slightly different location, but still in Southern California um, and you're maintaining the business. Are you, are you doing any uh, freelance writing work? I know you have your, your Substack, but uh, are you doing no, any no. freelance? I haven't no, done no. any entertainment journalism in over 10 years. I, yeah, I, I really, for a long time. it was actually true. I never did another, I, t- I got offered some jobs, but I did turn them down after that, that moment <laughs> after San Diego, I really, uh, was just, I was just burnt out at that point, you know, yeah. time to time for a little while, I did think about doing some, some work on the side, especially when things weren't as fast moving as I'd hoped, but you know, things kept mm-hmm. coming and we kept surviving and I was just kind of going, you know, 
I mean, it was crazy to think, especially as I was competing with younger and younger kids coming out of film school, but you know, it, it went through my head. I mean, I can go walk two dogs and be done and make what I make, walk two or three dogs and make what I make in a day and a half of work as a journalist, which is kind of crazy, but it was true at that time. I mean, I'd be competing with kids who would, you know, take the job just to meet a celebrity. So it was kind of, mm. going, you know, this isn't really getting me anywhere. And at that point, my rate had gotten so high because I had so much experience that, you know, it was very hard to find the jobs that really wanted to pay what I was Interesting. You're kind of pricing yourself out. Yeah. yeah. But, but that makes sense. And actually, I want to talk um, more maybe in, in another episode about uh, that transition from being an employee to being a business owner and what the you know benefits are, what the detriments are, because it's, you know, people think, oh, I'm going to start a business. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but I'm my own boss and I have all these benefits. Yeah, that's true, but it's really freaking hard and there's yeah. a lot of stress. And it's not like you you're going to have stress in life any, anyway, regardless of whether you're working in, in, in a corporate environment or your own business. Um, it's just maybe a different type of stress and, and different, you know, triggers for, for that stress. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's interesting because you, you, so you've had now, uh, I, I don't know how many years of experience working as an employee and, and as a business owner, uh, that's actually a very interesting mix, but even when you were working as an employee, I think, especially earlier on, and let's say the early 2000s, remote work wasn't really a thing. I yeah. mean, maybe for some industries, but as a general rule, it's butts in seats, right? In, right. in an office, you know, under, you know, fluorescent light bulbs and, you know, you were it lucky. Was, if it was more common in the entertainment world, but yeah, it was definitely okay. yeah. unusual. When I told mm -hmm. people that I was working from home, it, you know, got some raised eyebrows, especially that I was working from home and then going to see two movies. Yeah, 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 totally. So um, now there's this. So obviously we had COVID, and during COVID, uh, there were, you know, mandates essentially to work from home. Um, and then over time, uh, companies started calling their employees back into the office, and some right. required their employees to come back maybe two days out of the week three days out of the week, four or even five. I think it's probably more unusual to, to be five days a week, depending on industry. Um, but right now it's not uncommon for employers to offer a hybrid type of work situation where you know you can work from home, let's say two days a week, you can choose which days those, those are, or maybe not, again, depends on the company. Um, and now there are a lot of studies coming out uh, with really conflicting uh, uh, results or like survey results or, or results from the, from the study. I was looking at some of yeah. those articles you sent me. Yeah. It, and it's interesting they, a lot. They're conflicting, right? Some, you know, one of these articles says that less, and it's a recent article from actually my birthday, June 18th, 2023. So not, not that many months ago. It, and it's titled less productive, more depressed. The problem with working from home. Right. And then there's this other I, article. I saw that title. I, I, it, Took me by surprise. I was thinking, how many people are depressed about working from home? I, I haven't met those people. Yeah, well, apparently they exist, right? And so uh, it depends on your article, home life, maybe. True. Another article, which, which is more recent from just a couple weeks ago, actually, yeah, it's it, it's very recent. Uh, it says it's titled "The Old Office Is Going Extinct." Here's what the new normal of work looks like, and the entire article 
is talking about the advantages to both employers and employees to hybrid work. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, there's so many factors involved. And after reading these, I, my, my conclusion was, well, there's, it depends on the person, as you alluded to, it depends on, you know, their home life. Uh, it depends on, you know, their satisfaction with a hybrid work model or a full remote model, which of course exists again, more so in some industries than others. Uh, and then another work model where you got to have your butt in the seat five days a week in, in the office, right? That, that exists probably more in, in like financial services, um, that sort of thing. Uh, but the, the employee satisfaction with their work life and the employer's satisfaction with the productivity of their employees, they, like it's not a one size fits all thing. It's not a black and white kind no. of uh, uh, analysis or, or outcome. So anyway, I was curious what your thoughts were on that, given your experience working in like earlier than, you know, today, I mean, 20 years ago, let's say, in kind of a hybrid model when it wasn't really a thing, generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. I think there's so many factors that you can't give it a one size fits all approach. I mean, in the creative fields, the the problem I had with working in an office was that we had marketing people and, you know, uh, finance people that would interrupt us when we were working on creative articles. And so that would drive me crazy because if I was at home, you know, I'd usually put music on or put headphones on and I'd knock out my articles, a couple reviews, an interview piece. But, you know, if I'm like really in the zone of my writing and then someone taps me on the shoulder and said, uh, uh, I got a question about this expense report. Then I'm like, you know, it's not like I just turn it back on and go right back into it. So yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of late nights at Reels Channel just banging my head against the wall. And we had a lot of discussions with the corporate team there about how effective working from home was. I, I remember at the time we had some, sent them some articles on bestbuy.com doing a work from home study and showing this massive increase in productivity. And, and there was no doubt with my team at that point. I mean, what I saw in productivity on the days where people were from home versus when they were in the office was probably twice as much work. So but, you know, my only experience I can give is in the creative space. And I think it really depends, uh, you know, what sort of office atmosphere you create. If you create an office atmosphere where, I mean, I, I never was good at working in an atmosphere where every <laughs> talk is pulling the wire. Uh, I was never good at, at working in an office atmosphere where I couldn't get away from everything. You know, like I couldn't shut a door or, you know, the cubicle setup didn't work very well for me because it was just... There was too many distractions. There were conversations going by that would catch my ear. So, you know, I was like, I started with earbuds and then I got a, a giant pair of big, obnoxious white headphones that were really, you know, to, to be like, hey, look, I've got these huge headphones on. Leave me yeah, alone. leave me alone. No <laughs> way. I'm working. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it really depends on the office atmosphere. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I recently read the book and watched... Uh, the WeWork drama series on Apple TV. And uh, that made me laugh about a lot of the sort of, you know, it reminded me somewhat of my IGN days, but, you know, this office atmosphere that would be just distracting and chaotic. And, you know, at IGN, you know, there'd be days where I really had a lot to do and guys are cracking beers open at, you know, 2 p.m. I'm like, 
you know, you don't, you, you, you want to be a part of that culture. You don't want to be the guy who you say, all right, let me have a beer. And then a couple beers later and, you know, we're watching a screening or something and I've still got articles to do. And I'm like, oh God. So, you know, my experience was always that I got more done at home. But, uh, you know, these days I, with three kids, I can say that that isn't always the case. And there's certainly been days where home life disruptions have erupted and, uh, you know, just chaos and, you know, things happen. Like we were talking before this interview about technology malfunctions and stuff. I mean, there's just so many factors. Uh, you know, I've actually, uh, I've got two desks at home, one in the bedroom here and one in the garage. And I have do not disturb signs that slide open and close that the kids know about and, uh, somewhat respect, but, uh, you know, yeah, that's interesting. There's no perfect scenario. I mean, there, I can certainly see both sides of the argument. And I guess, you know, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, I, I think it really also depends on the individual. Some people are going to work from home and really take advantage of that. And some people are going to work from home and, you know, see that as a privilege and really produce. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, this one other article, the one that, that is titled Less Productive, More Depressed, The Problem with Working from Home. Uh, it says that researchers also found that many outcomes improved the longer study the study went on. So later on in the study, in uh, a large proportion of the negative effects observed could be attributed to poor management. <laughs> like, of course, yeah. your, like, your manager has so much of an impact on your productivity on, you know, your satisfaction with work. And that doesn't change if you're working remote, you know, right. if anything, it might even be more important if you're working um, remote. So I just found this interesting how like complete opposite this, the survey results of this one were from the other one. It, this concludes that work from home has made us less productive on average. Like that's the complete opposite. I think another thing is also your work from home approach. Like one thing I've learned if I really kind of, you know, don't take a shower and, you know, just wear what I slept in and, you know, maybe I don't go and take the dog on a walk. They're just like, oh, I got to get to work. And I just like jump to my desk and start working. It definitely doesn't work. You know, I, I, I got to I really don't work that much in the mornings. I really kind of have a routine, you know, walk the dog. I do some writing. I um, do some reading. You know, and if I don't really start my day that well, then I, I am less productive and less focused working from home. And, and I've fallen into that trap. I still do once in a while and I kind of have to catch myself. I mean, if I don't, you know, get showered and get ready and get dressed like I'm going to a real office, I definitely, you know, just less in the zone. Uh, you know, one, one of my favorite classes in college was this professional writing class I took, this very animated professor named Antonio Dorenzo. And, uh, he told this story about his mom taking him into a bank uh, dressed slovenly and then uh, seeing how the approach was and how they were treated with some questions about, I think, a loan or whatever. And uh, then going back to that same bank later in the day, dressed to the nines. And they didn't even recognize them. It, he, he talked a lot about, you know, talking about dressing for success and all that stuff is a whole different topic. But it was interesting. You know, he, he talked a lot about the mindset, you know, when you put on certain outfits, when you put on, take a shower, when you shave, when you do certain things, uh, you know, I, I think, and I think that that may be the work from home trapping that some people fall into. One thing that, cause I, I worked from home, uh, when I was at Accenture 
for, I don't know, a, a few days a week. It actually ended up becoming more like, I, and this is all pre-COVID, uh, people just could stop coming into the office. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I started experiencing was, you know, some some like loneliness and, and lack of, uh, you want to interact with people. Like we're right. humans, we're social animals, you know? So there is much less interaction, obviously, if you're working remotely, even, even with video conferencing, um, than there is when you're working in an office environment. I personally love the hybrid model, um, but it depends how it's implemented, uh, whether that's going to be successful. And also a lot of that has to do with, you know, as we talked about with the employees and their satisfaction with how it's set up. So there's actually a lot more to dive into. Do you like the people you work with? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. No. That makes going into the office a whole different thought process. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot more to dive into and I want to do that. There's so many like of these subtopics uh, to, to get into, like each one we could talk about for like its own, you know, for example, like corporate culture and, and people's attitudes uh, yeah. at, at work. That, of course, has a huge impact on whether whether or not you want to you know, be in the office for not not just being in the office for whatever it is, eight, nine, ten hours, but your commute. Most people oh, have yeah. to commute, whether it's on the subway or in a car. Think of how much That's more frustration and stress you have when you are sitting in the car for 45 minutes or an hour, maybe even more, knowing that you're going to walk into an office that you hate being at, right? I mean, it just adds so much, you know, uh, you know, further frustration and, and dissatisfaction. And of course that bleeds into, you know, people's personal lives, right? When, when you come home all pissy because you had such a shitty day at work, you have to deal with shit attitudes, you know, your, your spouse or your significant other, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever is going to be like, what's wrong with you, you know? And then it causes you know issues in your personal life. Oh yeah. I mean, if you've you know? had a bad day and you got to deal with, you know, an hour and a half of LA road rage, you know, <laughs> it's like, the worst, you're right over man. the top. Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst. So uh, I'd love to like dive into these topics more. Thanks for listening to this episode of Office IQ. If you're looking for ways to accelerate your path to success, you can find more resources like this on our YouTube channel or at officeintelligence.com. We offer courses and other content that will literally change the direction of your career for the better. If there are any topics you'd like to hear more about or questions you'd like me to address on future episodes, you can send an email to jeff at officeintelligence.com.